We're going to go into today's scripture, which comes from Acts chapter 2. We're going to read verses 36 through 41. Uh, We're going to be reading this in the ESV. There are ESV Bibles that are under your chairs if you're here in person. Uh, If you're joining us from home, uh, we encourage you to look up the scripture uh, in your own Bible or Bible app, but we'll also be projecting it uh, on the screen as well. And so again, it's Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 41. And once you've found the scripture, once you're ready to read it, if you could please stand as able for the reading of God's word. Right. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is called, What Then Shall We Do? Uh, Today's message is about change in some ways, but it's about change within ourselves. And, you know, there's this saying uh, that, that you've probably heard before, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like this idea that at a certain age, we get kind of fixed and it gets really, really hard to change your mind or to be able to learn new things. Uh, and I wonder if that's true. And as I'm getting older, I have to say that there are some things where, you know, sometimes we get a little bit stubborn in our uh, old, more experienced age. I feel like I have to say that, like somehow saying like old. <laughs> I mean, it's all relative, right? But um, I, I like to say sometimes like, you know, we're not old, we're just more experienced, you know? We're, we're, we're more veteran humans, you know? Uh, but I think that there are ways where, you know, even for those of us who are younger, um, there are times where it's really hard for us to change our minds. It's really hard for us to change maybe anything in our lives, and maybe you've experienced that before. You know, maybe that can be kind of frustrating. I know it's been very frustrating in my life so many times that there's something that I know should change, but I actually can't change it. And so, friends, as we are, uh, we we just had Pentecost last week, and we uh, are reading the passage that uh, continues from the the Pentecost passage. It's the same day. It's the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit come in this really dramatic way that changes a lot of people, right? And, And I wanted to show you how the Holy Spirit is changing people in this passage, how remarkable it is. And I want to assure you, this isn't what always happens every day, right? If you've ever, I don't know, had like a discourse with someone on the internet, you know people don't change their minds very easily, right? If you've ever like, I I don't know, talked to like people in your family or just anyone like a coworker, right? People don't change their minds easily. And so you're going to see something that it's nothing short of miraculous, how the Holy Spirit works. So we want to see 
how that works and maybe how that might work in our lives. You know, we want to be open to the Holy Spirit, right? I know that I do. Uh, and, and at times, like, we hear stories like this and we wonder, why doesn't the Holy Spirit move like that anymore? Well, friends, let, let's take a look at uh, how the Holy Spirit moved in this passage. So um, I, I want to uh, kind of rewind a little bit from what we read. We started in verse 36, but I want to show you an earlier part of uh, Peter's sermon. So basically what happened was uh, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and uh, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start speaking these different languages, proclaiming uh, the glories of God. And they're just walking out on the streets in Jerusalem, speaking all these different languages. And there's a crowd that gathers uh, of uh, Jewish people who uh, normally live in other regions of the world, but they're in Jerusalem on this day. And they hear uh, these Galileans speaking about God in their own languages, and they're just trying to make sense of this. They're like, what could this mean? You know? And so this is Peter uh, addressing them, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He gives this sermon, and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Okay, so I just want to point out that he pretty much accuses them of being complicitous in the murder of Jesus, right? Uh, As far as persuasive speaking goes, accusing your crowd of murder is probably not the way to win over the crowd. But even more than that, he goes through, and we're not going to go through this whole passage, but he goes through the, the, the Hebrew scripture and tries to show them the threads that lead to Jesus. And basically what he's saying is that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God, but you didn't believe that. You rejected that, right? And again, at the end of the, the sermon, which is where we picked up today, he says it again, right? I just want to be clear, right? He, he's not kind of, you know, flinching from this point. He says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So there's a few incendiary things that he's saying. He's making a definite claim that Jesus is the Messiah, right? So uh, that's what it means, Lord and Christ. Christ, Christos, that is the, the, uh, the, the Greek word for anointed one. This is the Messiah, right? That's what it means. The Messiah is the anointed one. And so um, he's saying something that probably not everyone in the crowd believes, right? That to them, they're like, well, I mean, he died or, you know, whatever. Like, like is he really the Messiah? There were a lot of would-be messiahs during this time, who came out of the woodwork and were like, yeah, I'm him. And maybe for the crowd, it's very natural for them to be skeptical. Right? Not only that, but the way that basically every Messiah got proven to not be the Messiah was they were arrested or killed, right? And both happened to Jesus, you know? And so maybe for a lot of them, they're like, hmm, I don't know about this, you know? But Peter says, 
Let it be known for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Again, there it is, right? He's like, you guys are responsible for crucifying him, right? And so, yeah, he said it's according to the plan of God, right? So no worries there. But in some ways, I mean, again, this might be hard to hear. But what's so interesting is their response. So it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted, cut to the heart. I love that, that, that phrase. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? There's this openness. There's this humility that they receive the word that Peter is speaking, right, through the Holy Spirit. I want to say that this isn't always what happens, right? I actually want to show you another passage in Acts that's kind of similar. Um, There's going to be another person who's in front of a crowd of of Jewish people, and and he's going to be speaking about Jesus, and he's going to be challenging them and saying things that they don't want to hear. And this time, the people don't respond very well. This comes from Acts chapter 7. So this is uh, the passage where Stephen is brought up in front of the council and in front of these Jewish leaders. And he's been accused of saying these things that they consider blasphemous, right, about Jesus, claiming he's the Messiah, right? And so they bring him up on charges, and they're like, what do you have to say for yourself? And he goes into this whole sermon, and it's even longer than Paul's, right? But at the end, this is the end of it, he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Again, pretty incendiary, right? I mean, he's saying, again, you... And your forefathers uh, have killed the prophets consistently. And same thing with Jesus, right? You're responsible for his murder. And so again, how would you respond to this? You know, remember what happened in Acts 2. And this is what happens here. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. It's like almost primal, right? Like, like, like. A, a, a ravenous beast, grinding their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Son of Man is a messianic reference and Jesus referred to, him as the, to himself as the Son of Man. And so maybe some of the Jewish leaders, they knew that. They knew that Stephen was talking about Jesus, right? He was talking about Jesus the whole time. So this is how they respond to that, right? So Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking these things. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. If you guys know what happens in this passage, they end up stoning Stephen to death. Right? And interestingly enough, we are told that there's a, a, a person there. His name is Saul, and he's holding the cloaks of people as they're throwing these stones. Right? And that's Saul, 
actually becomes Paul, the Apostle Paul, right? And so Stephen is considered by many to be the first martyr of the Christian faith, first person to die for his faith. Right? But friends, I, I just want to go back here. So, so, you know, what's different? What is different about what happened in Acts 2 versus Acts 7, right? So you hear a proclamation of the gospel, right? A claim that Jesus is the Messiah. It's no different, right? Peter does the same thing, right? In an accusation. <laughs> You're responsible, Right? But one ends with many, many people being open to the Holy Spirit and, 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 in fact, being baptized and becoming believers and being saved, right? And another one ends in murder. Again, friends, I, I kind of, you know, pointed this out and, and you saw me do it. But isn't it interesting that in this passage, the people literally cover their ears. They're like, we're not listening to you. We are not listening to you. We are not listening to you. Friends, I I have to wonder, you know, maybe that's the first clue of why maybe sometimes people aren't able to change, even in the face of truth, right? Because maybe we've just stopped listening. Have we stopped listening? Um... I mean, you know, I already kind of pointed out that if you've ever had (laughs) any kind of discussion, heated discussion, argument with other people, right? I mean, I've gotten to the point where I've just stopped trying to convince anyone of anything, pretty much, you know? I'm like, you're not going to change anyone's mind. You know, one of the most frustrating things, one of the most, like, like, ridiculous things you can ever do is get in a fight with someone on the internet right? No one wins, right? And it always ends like with just people being mad, you know? And friends, I have to say that, um, you know, in this day and age, just for a lot of us, we don't want to hear conflicting things, you know? I know I'm not the first one to point this out, but have you ever noticed that, like, even like things like news, right? Like more and more, news is getting very divided, right? News isn't just like, hey, this is like completely objective and we're just going to give you the news. Now news has a slant. You can listen to news that's more conservative, more Republican. Or you can listen to news that's more liberal, that's more progressive. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what? what? That, that's news, Right? But friends, you know, the thing is that most people, right? I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Most people who listen to conservative news are already conservative. And most of the people who listen to progressive news are already progressive, right? I mean, pretty much no one listens to the other side, unless you're just trying to gather ammunition (laughs) to fire at the enemy, right? But pretty much it's almost like we've already made up our minds, Are we even listening? Is there even the possibility for change if we only want to hear what we want to hear? I have to say, friends, there's another very important difference between Acts 2 and Acts 7. I don't know if you caught this, but in Acts 2, if you remember, on the day of Pentecost, who were the people in the crowd? Who were they? 
They're Jewish people, right? People who are represented in all of these different areas, like the diaspora, right? There, there are Jewish people that were just scattered, right? And, and uh, they're scattered in, in the Greek-speaking world in all these different places. And these people are gathered in Jerusalem. Maybe it's for the Passover. Maybe they've come to move back and try to make a home in Jerusalem. We don't really know. But these are just common, ordinary, everyday people, as far as we know. And who is Stephen speaking to in Acts 7? He's speaking to the Jewish council. He is speaking to the leaders, right? And by the way, these are like the most religious people, right? These are the people who, like, you know, they know the Torah. They know the law. They know it backwards and forwards, right? And so very interesting. The people who are just like the common people, maybe not all of them have like an extensive knowledge of the Bible or whatever, They may not even be the most religious people, right? And yet these people are convicted by the Holy Spirit. And and there's this massive change in their lives. But the Jewish leaders, they don't want to listen. They don't want to listen. Why? Well, maybe for one, I mean, we've already kind of like made up our minds, you know? And you got to think for a Jewish leader, they have a lot to lose, if they are wrong. There's a lot of power, right, that they get from their position that would be gone if they were to change their minds. You know, I, I remember hearing once when people were talking about some of the, the things like, like uh, environmental things, right? Like, you know, trying to eliminate some of the coal that we use um, that is creating a lot of changes in our environment. To say, you know who's going to be really hard to convince are people who sell coal, right? Because that's where they make their living. Or maybe people who've become very powerful because they represent coal interests, right? It's not just going to be facts that matter in this situation. It's going to be power, right? But for the people in Acts chapter 2, it's almost as if, like, like, I mean, just like the people in Acts 7, the Jewish leaders, they didn't believe what the disciples were saying before, right? That, that, that there, there was some things that they were probably opposed to, and it was probably inflammatory to be accused of being complicit in Jesus' murder, right? It probably would have been uncomfortable. But in some ways, they were willing to be wrong in some ways, in ways that the Jewish leaders in this passage are not able to, right? And friends, I think those are some things we we just have to be honest about. You know, if we are to change our minds, if we are to be convicted by the Holy Spirit, the, 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 the assumption is that if it's the Holy Spirit, then then it's right. Right? It's the spirit of God. It's not the spirit of man. Right? And so what we are seeking out is truth from God. But you've got to wonder if the, the, the uh, Jewish leaders in this story that end up stopping their ears, they don't want to hear anything that Stephen has to say, anything that would contradict what they already believe, anything that would compromise or, or take away their power. They don't want to hear anything any of it. And you have to wonder, 
where is their heart in terms of their willingness to hear from God? To hear from God. Because what if God, right? Like maybe you've heard it said, (laughs) you know, we're not God. We're human beings. We make mistakes, right? Let God be true and every man a lie. And a lot of us, we don't have it right. I mean, would we at least be willing to admit we don't know everything? Would we at least be willing to admit that there's a chance that we could be wrong about some things in our lives? This stance is what we normally call humility, right? This idea, I'm not God, I've not figured everything out, and so my heart will remain soft. It will remain changeable. I will allow for God to speak to me. It is one of the most important Christian virtues and one that we often lose because of other things. And I want to be very clear about this, friends. And I think a lot of those things are often power. We don't want to give that up, right? But humility means, in some ways, if we look at Christ's humility, Christ, who is in very nature God, he is royalty, He's the son of God. And he gave up all of that power to be with us. He descended to be with us. It is ultimate humility. And for some of us to descend from where we think we believe certain things and we're fixed in our minds and we're just like, hey, this is just who I am, right? This is just my job now, right? This is where I derive power. And to be willing to step down from that and say, I'm not saying I'm wrong, but I want to be open. I I, want to keep my ears open. I want to keep my heart soft enough to admit, I don't know everything, right? And it's something that I think even Christians, we get really, really calcified about certain things. And we start becoming just like the Jewish leaders that we see, stopping our ears and saying, "Mm, we're not going to listen to anything that the world has to say. We're not going to listen to what anyone else has to say. But friends, if the truth is the truth, if the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit, then what do we have to fear from hearing things that are not true? We need to learn how to be able to discern those things. So we shouldn't be afraid to hear them, right? And so... Friends, uh, I want to go back again. So let, let's see the response of uh, the people in Acts chapter 2. Let all, so, so here's um, Paul's uh, uh, conclusion again. Uh, sorry, Peter's conclusion, excuse me. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ is Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. How do you get cut to the heart? You can only be cut to the heart if your heart is soft, right? Like, I, I don't know. Have you guys ever tried to cut a steak that's not soft? Um, I love steak now. But when I was a kid, I, I think it was like my mom, a combination of like maybe not being like really, uh, uh, like, like not being very well-versed on Western cooking. Uh, and maybe it was just because she didn't want me to get sick or something. But she would always cook my steaks until they were gray. Like, it's not even well done anymore. It's like rubber. And I used to hate eating steak because I would just chew it and chew it and chew it. And I would try to swallow and it would just like get stuck. And I would just like have to end up spinning it out into my napkin, right? And that was my experience of eating steak. It was just so tough. 
right? And, you know, like, like uh, there's a different kind of steak, right? I mean, for me, it's medium rare. And, man, you cut into that thing, it's like butter. You know, you get like a nice ribeye. It's marbled. I mean, let's be honest, it's fatty, right? That's why the fat, it's just kind of soft. And I'm sorry if I'm making some of you guys hungry. I'm getting a little hungry. But you cut into it, it's just so soft, right? And there's a difference. And I wonder, friends, if you look at Acts chapter 7, you know, and these people who have stopped their ears, I wonder what their hearts would look like if they become hardened. But here, you can only be cut to the heart if your heart is soft, right? And, and so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is such a humble question, right? This is such a, a, an open-ended question. This is what we titled the sermon. What then shall we do? In light of this, in light of what you're telling us, we have been convicted. And now we are seeking for direction from you. Another reason, maybe, friends, why we don't like to be put in this position where we might change is because it's really uncomfortable to be uncertain. In this moment, I got to tell you, it probably was very, very uncomfortable to be the crowd. They're convicted. That's all they know. They're like, oh, man, there's something going on here. Right? We don't really know what this is, but what should we do now? Right? And maybe for some people, you know, like the Jewish leaders, they have a routine. They know exactly what to do. There are no surprises in their life anymore. Right? They figured it out. They figured out the Torah. They figured out how to be religious people. There's no uncertainty. And there's some comfort in that. And being willing to be moved and changed means that you're going to be shifted. You're going to be uprooted from the things that we thought were so comfortable sometimes. And getting to a place where we're like, I don't know what to do next. Have you ever been there, friends? Have you ever in faith, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit is moving you in a certain direction, and you get to a place in your life, and you're like, I literally don't know what happens next. It's scary, right? But I mean, isn't that what we sing all the time? Friends, I got to do it. I'm really, really sorry, but I got to sing Oceans. Spirit, lead me (laughs) where my trust is without borders. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. What are we singing? What are they talking about? You're on the waves, and it's crazy because you feel so uncertain. But the Holy Spirit is leading you. So in some sense, you know it's going to be okay. Because again, if it's the Holy Spirit that's leading you, it's not the spirit of man. It's not you know, any other spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of God, the God who loves you, the God who created the whole heavens and the earth. You don't need to be afraid anymore, right? But it is going to bring you past your earthly comfort, right? The certainty that we so often love to just sink into. We like, we're like, I know exactly the way my life is going to be. But if we really want the Holy Spirit, we have to sometimes be in a place where we're like, I literally don't know what to do. But they ask people that, that you know, they're like, okay, clearly the Holy Spirit is leading you right now, right? The, the Holy Spirit is speaking through you, Peter, and the rest of the disciples, So what should we do? They're open, right? And so Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. What does repent mean? It literally means change your mind. Change your mind. 
right? I know we say, uh, because this is implied in it. So when I talk about the prayer of repentance every week, I say that repentance is changing your mind, your heart, and all that you are, because that's implied in that, right? But just strictly in the Greek, it means to change your mind, metanoia, right? Meta, the change, the, the noia part, that's the mind, right? Change your mind and be baptized, every one of you. Be immersed into the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So again, now there is this acknowledgement that Peter is not shying away from. He's not like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to tell you something that you want to hear. Now I'm going to tell you something that's going to make you feel better. He's like, you need to be forgiven for your sins, right? You're sinners. You've made mistakes. Again, maybe not something popular for us to hear. But this idea that sin, it doesn't mean you're this terrible human being any more than all of us are fallen human beings, that we are imperfect. It means that you have missed the mark of God, right? But it's probably, I mean, there's probably no thing you can say to a person that's going to make them mad or offend them any more than to go up to someone and be like, hey, sinner, right? Like, it's probably not going to go over well, you know, in this day and age. But all all that uh, Peter is saying is that we cannot live this life on our own, right, without deviating from the will of God. That is, in and of itself, sin. And just at our core, we are people who want to, you know, lead our own lives. We want to be in control. We don't want to live by faith. We don't want to do things the way that God wants them to. So we are, in fact, all sinners, And being baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. We're doing that for the forgiveness of our sins. And he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? Yes, the Holy Spirit is working and acting and prodding and cutting into their hearts. But the Holy Spirit wants to go all the way in and take over. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We talked about this last week. But that hints of just the people, the the disciples speaking in all these different languages, opening up the gospel, opening up the kingdom to all people, anyone who is willing to come, anyone who is far off, you can be brought near. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, right? You have this opportunity to be received into this new way of life. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I highlighted, so those who received his word. Because you see that contrast with Acts 7, that the people who've kind of stopped their ears and they're grinding their teeth and they're like, la, 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 I can't hear you, I can't hear you, they have not received the word. They they don't want to receive the word, right? That that their hearts are completely closed off to it. Maybe there are times for us that it's not so explicit, that we're not like, yeah, I don't want to lose power. But for whatever reason, our heart's just hard. For whatever reason, when we hear the word of God, and sometimes there's seasons where, you know, your heart feels so soft, 
You know, and you do get convicted. And you're like, wow, you know, God loves me. And I'm just filled with this love. And I'm filled with the spirit. And it's so wonderful. And then there's other seasons where it's like nothing. It's just dry. I don't feel anything. Do you ever feel like that, friends? Do you ever feel like that? Because in the Bible, it actually talks about that. You know, I don't know exactly how it happens, how we get hardened, other than some of the things that we talked about. You know, we want to be certain. We want to have the power. We don't want to be wrong. We ultimately want to be God. We want to be in control. We don't want to give that up, right? But friends, that has been true just throughout the generations. And I actually want to uh, end this message uh, just going over a, a couple passages in Ezekiel. They're, they're side by side, and they're often talked about when we talk about this kind of thing, the hardness of heart, because you see it here. In Ezekiel, uh, uh, basically what's going on is that the people have been exiled into Babylon. The, the people of God, the Israelites, for the longest time would reject, reject the prophets, reject the word of God, and reject God, God's self. And they would just follow their own ways. They would follow the local customs. They would follow the local gods, right? And time and time again, God would keep bringing them back and keep, you know, give them, giving them opportunities to repent. But they keep going astray. And for whatever reason, it ends up where the kingdom of Israel has been completely destroyed. And the people of Israel are taken to Babylon it's what we call the Babylon captivity, and they're forced to live in a country that is not their own, right? And during this time, they actually don't give up their faith. During this time, their faith probably gets stronger and more vibrant than it's ever been before. Maybe this, is ever, this has happened to you. When you are flying high on your own power, when there's no reason for you to change, we're not even open to the possibility of change. But sometimes life comes crashing into you and kind of knocks you down a few pegs, right? And for many of us, our first move is to try to get more control, right? Like, like hey, you know, what can I do to get back that, that sense that, that everything's going to be okay, right? And we do everything we can in our power. But sometimes, just like the Israelites, I think, you're in a situation where none of that helps. You can't get the power back. <laughs> it's gone. You're just knocked down. And in those moments, the people of God, consistently, they've decided to turn back to God in those times and to look to God. And so this is Ezekiel speaking to the people in captivity. And this is the promise that that, uh, God makes to his people. He says, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you heart of flesh. I'm going to take away the well-done gray steak, right? Uh, but and I'm going to give you medium rare. I'm sorry for using that imagery. I'm, I just think I'm hungry. But I'm going to give you that soft heart, you know, a new kind of heart that can receive the spirit. Do, do you guys see that? It's a new heart, but it's also a new spirit, right? What do spirits do? I've already sung it once. Don't make me sing it again. What do spirits do? What do spirits do? Lead. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, he's going to sing it anyways. No, I promise you, I won't. <laughs> spirits lead, right? And our spirit, when it is encased in this hardened heart, 
Our spirit is just like, you know what? We're going to just do whatever we want. We're just going to go wherever we want. We're, we're going to live however we want. And that's the way most people live, right? But if our heart can be softened, then a new spirit can enter us. And a new spirit then can lead us, right? And that's what's happening here, right? And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my, my rules, my commands, my laws, right? And, and so there's this idea that, that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us in a new way, to guide us in the way of God, not in our own way. Right? But again, if it's the Holy Spirit, then it's right. It's true. It's the best possible way to live. Right? And then Ezekiel 37. This is one chapter after. Just a few verses after this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he, so this is Ezekiel's talking, he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Maybe some of you are like, Pastor Steve, everything you're saying, it sounds so nice. But I think we're beyond being just spiritually hardened. Maybe for some of us, we feel like we're spiritually dead. We don't have hearts of stone. We're skeletons. We're all dried up and desiccated. That's the imagery here. Right? And, and I think God knew that that that's how the people of Israel felt. Man, they've just been living their own way for so long. They've been on this cycle of sin for so long. And they've become hardened so much that they just feel like they're completely spiritually dead. But look at how God leads Ezekiel in this vision. He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you. Do you guys know what the Hebrew word for breath is? It's huha. I, I, I can't do it very well, but it, it, you can even hear in it. It's this very kind of, it sounds like a breath, right? So the word for breath is the same word for spirit. So if you look in your Bibles, there will be a footnote. Whenever it says breath in this passage, it, it'll say, or spirit. It's the same word, Right? Behold, I will cause spirit to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you. It will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath, put spirit in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Friends, what is going on in this passage? It's spiritual resurrection, right? New flesh. He's going on those bones, sinews and all that stuff. And a new heart is being formed. This is what the Spirit of God can do. I want to close. Um, I, I want to sing a song um, just in response. You know, friends, I, you know, maybe you have been feeling this way. You've been feeling spiritually dry or spiritually hardened. You know, you hear the word of God and it just feels like, boom. It just won't go in, 
you know, you can't receive it. Something has become hardened. But I want to assure you, friends, when I read these passages like in Ezekiel, and when I see what happens through the Holy Spirit in Acts, it fills me with this hope that so many of us, I think, often are in danger of losing. This hope that God can change the most stubborn heart, the most hardened heart, those who seem so spiritually dry. And maybe you've given up, but, but here is God commissioning Ezekiel and says, prophesy over these bones. You will live again. Let me breathe my spirit into you. Let me give you newness of life so you can receive my words again. And you can become a beating heart, a living body and entity who knows the Lord. Do you want that on some level for any of you who've been feeling spiritually dry? Sometimes uh, when I'm feeling dry, I, I like to uh, listen to praise songs. And for me, sometimes like listening to like old praise songs is good. And so I didn't tell Hadam to do this. I, I actually requested this last song. Um, but Hadam and Jamie pick like really old songs today. So we sang like, as the deer panteth for the water. It says panteth. That's an old song, right? <laughs> and we're singing Shout to the Lord. Man, I first heard that song when I was in high school. And I was like, man, here I am many, many years later, and I'm still singing the same song. And I got to tell you, there are many, many times in those many years that have come in between, what's come before and what has come now, some 30 years, there have been some moments of dryness. There are some moments where I I just wonder, you know, am I going to just give up? You know, maybe it's not worth it anymore. And just, you know, I was just reminded as we were singing that song, that song that I sang when I was a youth, song that we sang today, that God is still faithful. God is not done working. We're going to sing one more song today. It, it's an old song. Maybe some of you, in fact, won't know it. And when you hear it, it'll sound like an old song. I'm just warning you. It goes like this. It's, change my heart, O God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. May I be like you. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. And friends, um, You know, again, he's the potter, and he's going to make us like clay. If you guys have ever worked with clay, clay's got to be soft for it to be moved and kneaded and all that stuff. Have you ever had clay that has just been, like, left out, like someone forgot to close the, the plastic bin or whatever, you know, and it just gets all crumbly, you know, and, and it just seems to just break apart. And maybe there's a way... Just with enough water, you know, with whatever the right materials, you can bring that clay back into that moldable shape. And friends, that's what I want want our prayer to be for us. Uh, Praise team, can you guys come up? And uh, before we sing the song, um, maybe this can just be our prayer. You know, maybe, I I don't know where you are. Um, Maybe some of you, I mean, for whatever reason, you're here today. And so we are still receptive to the things of God. But maybe for some of you, it's been a dry season. 
Maybe for some of you, you feel like things aren't changing. And maybe you heard some of the things I said, and you actually got discouraged because you think about the people around you that don't seem to be changing. And friends, whenever we read the stories of God, we see a God who is not dead, who is active and living and working, and his spirit is still working and stirring in dry bones. His spirit is still softening hearts from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. His spirit is still able to change the most stubborn of hearts, to take that clay and to knead it into the shapes that he desires it to be. Friends, maybe just in this moment, we can just pray. Holy Spirit, come. We want to believe this again, that we are not beyond the possibility of change, that you can work within us. We need newness of life. We need refreshing of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. We want to be open to you so that our hearts may be soft and that your word can penetrate and cut to our, the core of who we are, cut to the heart, that we can be convicted again, that we can be moved again, that we can be shaped again. God, hear our prayer for anyone who's feeling dry or hopeless. Help us to know that your Holy Spirit can still bring newness of life. If we look around this world and we feel a little hopeless, to know that you can still speak over all of the dry bones that we see around us. There is nothing that your Holy Spirit can't do. You will work in your time, but God, for us, we want to say, Lord, that we want to be available to you. We want to be open to you. We want to be soft and pliable to you. Oh, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.